You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommying While Muslim Podcast. This is Uzma Jafri. This is Ava Hassan, and I feel like it's been a hot second. What have, first of all, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How's everything going? I feel like you and I haven't connected, at least IRL or, you know, as IRL as you and I can, can be. We text each other every single day at weird, odd hours. People don't even want to know the times of days we actually text each other. Um, so how are you feeling? How's everything going? Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, not bad. I was just uh, looking up cough and cold remedies, like natural ones, because everybody's got the sniffles because everybody's back to school. Oh my God. So the kids are all like, you know, falling like flies. I would say continue to test for COVID uh, because I know okay. like within the first couple of weeks, my middle schooler was already exposed. You got the letter from school. Mm-hmm. So be very liberal in your testing. And uh, in the meantime, so this is not medical advice, of course, because we don't offer either scholarly or medical advice here at Mommy Well Muslim. But uh, for cough, if you don't want to give a lot of medication, I personally don't like to take a whole ton of medication when I have a cold because I know it's just going to run its course. Um, I like to use black pepper and honey. So I put the black pepper on mm-hmm. a teaspoon, a thin layer of that. And then pour a little bit of my little bear honey on top. And you could take that throughout the day. Um, Not if you're keto. Like if you're keto, you can't. But if you really want to get rid of your cough, that's a good one. And the kids can't even taste the black pepper because the honey kind of coats it, coats their throats so they don't get that tickle. And then uh, lots of warm water with lemon and some more honey. Uh, Some people like to throw in a little pinch of turmeric or ginger in there as well. If you heat that up for like even a minute, it's just a nice uh, soothing remedy. I find... Uh, that I can use that a lot more during the day, get my fluids in, get my vitamins in and feel better. So what's been going on on your end? How are you? Well, speaking of sick, sick, my um, first year in college, of course, he's sick and they're all dropping like flies over there as well. And you talk about your cough remedy. That's what he wanted. But I make it in batches and put them in um, mason mason jars. So essentially, I boil um, oranges lemons um with i i boil it boil it boil the fruit the actual fruit is in the water The actual fruit with ginger with whole ginger and then i grind it with the honey with the turmeric with the pepper um and then it becomes a paste and so when and then i keep it in the fridge Uh for uh, during this time of the year and then i essentially take the tablespoon pop it in hot water mix it and drink it Uh um when it has the vitamin c it's it's soothing So that was the first thing he asked for when he came home for the weekend um, because he FaceTimed me and said, I don't care. Please come get me. I need you to comfort me. And within a second, (laughs) I called my husband. I'm like, go pick up my baby because he needs us. Um, Granted, I sent him back to school because I was like, you need to go back to school. But that having been said, like you said, everyone's dropping like flies. So, um, you know, again, even though it was a doctor and, you know, she can give medical advice. We're not allowed to on the show. However, if you keep your nutrition up, um, make sure you guys get outside every day. This is what I tell my kids. Get outside, be in the vitamin D, wash your hands, please. (laughs) Just because we're not in that quote unquote COVID time, you still need to wash your hands, stop being gross and hope that you don't get sick. But that having been said, it's almost at the end of September. It's hard to believe that we're getting close to birthday times for two of my favorite ladies, <laughs> my mama and Osma and Osma here. We're going to have our birthday song a little bit later. But seriously, finances are super important for us. Just if anything, for somebody like myself that have no financial education, like learning from these ladies this last couple of weeks has been amazing for me. But you know, Halal investing can be super tricky. Let's just be real about that. Um, and and for a lot of people, it can be really tricky. That's why we have our guest here today, Rizwana Abed, um, who specializes in um, investing. She is an investment advisor for Sharia Portfolio with a degree in environmental economics. I'm going to have to ask her about that. With a master's from U.S. Berkeley in public policy. 
even though she didn't actually start out in investing, she quickly became, it became like a passion for her. And through her earned um, drive for financial stability for her family, she now lends her services to other people wanting to figure out investing. When she isn't navigating the fast paced world of investing, and it really is fast paced, it's like at an hourly basis, a lot of the times, she is doing crafts. I don't know how she finds the time to do that. She's spending time with her amazing family and friends. And we are so excited to have her here today at Momming Well Muslim. Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum, welcome. Thank you so much. Welcome, Islam, Uzma, and Zeba. And I'm so excited to be here on this podcast. I think what you guys do is amazing. Uh, you bring Aww. a really different perspective to parenting uh, that so many of us uh, need to hear. Uh, Absolutely. So thank you. For, uh, thank you. Oh, we don't ever get to hear that from people. So that feels so good. I'm yeah. not even going to say, oh, stop. I feel like, bring it on. We need all the love we can get. She's like, keep, keep, keep talking. It, keep it I feel keep so loved. Um, so I did uh, just real quick. Uh, one little correction is uh, you have a master's from UC Berkeley. So you are a smart, smart cookie. And <laughs> sorry about uh, yeah, that. No worries. No worries. No, uh, it no happens when, again, we're doing lots of things at the same time. So that's Absolutely. perfectly fine. So Rizwan, I'm trying not to spit with these stupid Invisalign. Oh, you've got the Invisalign. That's really my thing. Oh my God, I hate them. You with the Invisalign. So really, the I'm trying not job. to drool. Yeah. Oh my God. We're getting all pretty for our retreat for you people. Um, so Rizwan, we'd like to kick off the show by asking a little bit about your uh, mommying journey, whatever you're comfortable sharing about your kids and your mommying philosophy. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have uh, two children. Uh, I have a daughter who is five years old. Uh, she just started Aww. kindergarten. And my son is almost age. one year old. He's actually oh, turning oh, one tomorrow. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> They're already tiny. <laughs> I'm very excited. Don't even know how it, it all went. <laughs> yeah, blink of an eye. So um, yeah, um, so yeah, I think for, you know, when it comes to mommy philosophy, I think like any other parents, uh, I guess I, I certainly want my children to be happy, healthy, and compassionate human beings. Um, it's also very important to me and my husband to uh, try and instill religious values into our, in our children in the light of Quran and Sunnah. And I think many of our parenting choices and philosophies are shaped by that desire um, as well. I think uh, something I would like to add uh, that I have personally tried to instill in my children is the issue of self-esteem. Um, you know, being a child of immigrant parents and coming to the U.S. at the age of 16, starting high school, uh, attending high school for only three years and having to graduate within three years, um, I think I kind of struggled uh, a little bit mm -hmm. with um, some of those issues, self-esteem issues. Um, often found myself, you know, paralyzed with fear of failures and letdowns oh. that I a lot of immigrant children, um, you know, do associate with. And, um, you know, it's something that would kind of prevent you from, from pursuing a lot of things naturally. Yes. But you, know, you kind of push yourself and force yourself to do things. So I think once I became a parent uh, to my daughter, I decided that I would consciously try to make sure, you know, to do things that would hopefully, you know, help them overcome those barriers, you know, hopefully they don't have those kind of, um, you know, issues. Uh, but, you know, my son is a bit young to teach <laughs> any of those things. But for my daughter, I always try to make a point to remind her that it's perfectly okay uh, to fail at something as long as we give it a try. And, you know, I, I, I try to constantly, you know, remind her that, you know, it's just a lesson. Failure is a lesson and it's perfectly okay to fail. Um, I think another thing uh, that I am tr tr striving, I guess, you know, trying to help develop in my children is to help them become more mature in the sense that, you know, so that they are able to, they can learn to regulate their own emotions, handle conflicts with people amicably and, you know, be able to self-evaluate their behavior. And this is not an easy task because so many, so often we try to focus on, you know, just momentary happiness for the kids um, and you know that becomes a priority but I guess in the long run I would like to um, help them develop capacities to have 
good relationships with others and uh, to be accountable for their actions. So I guess that's in a nutshell. That's like (laughs) so, so insightful. Like most of that stuff I'm still trying to learn. So maybe you can mommy (laughs) me too. But I did hear you say that your little guy is just turning one and you can't really teach him these things. But (laughs) I would argue, yes, you can. Because Mm -hmm. nobody is more fearless than a one-year-old boy. (laughs) You know, they will get into everything. And as parents in trying to keep them safe, sometimes we overcompensate and we make them overly cautious and think of what the world could be if we operated like that toddler without any fear, like So what if I fail? If I'm going to fall down, whatever, I'm just going to get up, you know, I'll like get, you know, why shouldn't I jump off that cliff? Why shouldn't I like open that door? Why shouldn't I like, well, cliff, maybe not, maybe not the cliff, cliff. but I'm talking about as adults, you know, like as adults, yeah, we have all of these, take a little bit of risk (laughs) yeah, without killing ourselves. Okay. People, yeah, please nobody, nobody do anything that that's going to endanger your life. But you know, like toddlers operate on, think about it when toddlers, even if they make a mistake mm-hmm. nine times out of ten we're like oh it's okay like no big deal honey like right. get up and go again can you imagine what it would be like if we could do that for each other as adults Absolutely, or if yeah. we could do that for ourselves be- as adults beautiful <laughs> yeah. world it could be a beautiful beautiful world so you know yes i say learn from your son <laughs> learn with and from your son yeah. because now you I have the opportunity <laughs> so yeah just based on experience and from being very anxious mothers ourselves we're just offering right. that to you take it or leave it um or take it as you will I am so excited. Our dream is coming to fruition and it's only a few months away. I am inviting everybody here to join our weekend retreat. It's October 14th through the 16th, 2022. It's going to be in an urban oasis, just minutes from DC. And our whole point is for you to rediscover your identity in your current life phase because your mind, body, and your soul deserve it. So visit www.mommingwalmuslim.com forward slash retreat. And we will look for you there. Um, share with us a little bit about your family background. Cause you said you immigrated to the United States at 16. Oh my gosh. Sucky, sucky. <laughs> that would be awful. Um, yes. I mean, I don't know, maybe somebody had a good experience, but from my, my experience personally, what I've seen, it's been difficult. So why don't you share that with our audience? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, as I mentioned, you know, we immigrated here, I think it was in 2004, uh, with my whole family. Uh, we're originally, I was born and raised in Bangladesh. And so, you know, coming here at that age, uh, you know, having to attend high school was uh, very much of a culture shock, uh, you know, coming from um, like a very different background, you know, culturally. Uh, my sister, she was a year older and, you know, she also attended high school because at the time my parents had no idea about comedy community colleges. And mm-hmm. so the first thing, that, you know, kind of popped into their mind is that, you know, they have to go to high school. And whereas, you know, we probably would have been better off, you know, going off to a community college, you know, starting there. Um, but, you know, it was uh, they, they did the best. Right. They had the best of intentions and they did the best that they could at, the, at that moment. But um, it was uh, diff- difficult in terms of having to wade through some of the rough waters, um, going to a uh, all white uh, school in the valley for at least for the first semester and um, then being able to transfer to a more kind of um, diverse high school um, uh, helped. Uh, but I'm not going to lie that it, it was a bit uh, of a shock and uh, it took a lot of um, adjusting um, you know, on, on our part, I guess. And I think a yeah. lot of my parenting choices you know, have been shaped by those experiences, lived experiences. Of course, <laughs> of, of course, because first of all, come, coming from you know, a totally different culture and trying to acclimate to a new culture, a new educational environment, that's got to be tough. Um, so the fact that you even have that knowledge and foresight to be like, okay, I want to make sure that my children have a leg up, right. that's an amazing thing, which is a great segue into our topic of finances, mm-hmm. because it's not traditionally, and I'm using quotation marks yeah. for the people that can't watch us on vis- uh, on video, um, 
a female-centered thing, mm-hmm. whether you're in our culture or outside of our culture, right? It's it's typically a male-dominated, um, a, a, a very male-dominated world, including myself, meaning I'm very intimidated on learning about finances, specifically investing, right? Like when you start reading about it, you're just like bear market, this market, why are we talking about all these like animals? Like, are we going to a zoo? It's very, very stressful. So yeah. like, you know, and, and, and for, for stay-at-home moms specifically, you know, because I'm going to talk a little bit about the moms that stay home and maybe they don't have their own money to invest. Like, how would you advise a mom in that position? Because we do, we've gotten a couple of DMs um, this month to even start investing or to start thinking about investing um, when they don't necessarily have their own outside income coming in. What would you suggest to a mom in that position, Rizwana? Yeah, um, I think this is a, that's a very valid question. And I think so many points uh, that you touched upon, uh, you know, really kind of hits home uh, in the sense that, you know, investing has always been seen as this domain for, you know, uh, male, right, male dominated kind of thing that, you know, women are not suited for this, you know, risk laden, complex and technical world of investments. Uh, but, you know, I definitely want to dispel those notions and I would, you know, even though there might be an uh, overwhelming amount of information out there and, you know, it might seem like very daunting, uh, I would, you know, suggest the opposite and say that uh, there are studies that suggest that, you know, women um, tend to be uh, more, you know, um, they, they tend to do more research, you know, research more diligently and are more disciplined and confident uh, when it comes to investing. There's, this is actually a study that was done by UC Berkeley um, on investing patterns um, that shows that, you know, women tend to have, you know, exercise more caution and they have a desire more stable returns, um, you know, compared to men who are, uh, they tend to be more impulsive. So I think uh, what I would say for, you know, uh, women who have given up, um, you know, have had to sacrifice their career for caregiving or, you know, they just happen to be um, stay at home moms. um, There is something that is known as a um, spousal IRA for a spouse that is earning low or no annual wages. So, you know, you would be able to. save uh, tax efficiently for retirement in that kind of account. So uh, bear in mind that this is uh, not a a specific type of IRA, uh, you know, in the sense that, you know, it's not uh, spousal IRA. It's it's not known by name. Uh, You you would not be able to go to a brokerage institution and, you know, say that, you know, I want a spousal IRA. It's just like any other individual retirement account or IRA as we know them, but the idea is that it's for somebody who doesn't have, you know, any income coming in, um, where the other spouse who is earning some income would be able to contribute for, you know, on behalf of the non-income earning spouse. Um, you have to be married and you have to file a joint tax return in order to open a spousal IRA. Uh, but, you know, it, it, I think it's a, it's a really great tool and it's very underutilized and not uh, very uh, known about. And, you know, I think more and more women uh, who don't work outside the home need to know about this kind of spousal IRA uh, because, you know, it, it gives you tax efficiency. Uh, both of you can contribute um, up to 12000 12, uh, which is 6,000 per individual into you know, these um, IRA. So the income earning spouse can contribute to their own IRA, and then they can also contribute to the non-income earning spouse's uh, IRA, right? which would be um, the spousal IRA. So that is definitely something that I would um, you know, suggest to somebody in that position. 
I'm loving it. I'm taking notes for like the single people out there and the moms of like adult daughters who are embarking on the marriage process. Get this Absolutely. written into the Nikah contract <laughs> that if at any time she's not earning that the 6,000 annual contribution will be made towards her IRA. Because again, you want that money there for her when and if she retires, that God, God forbid something happens, she has something Absolutely. in her name. So that would be really, really important. So since you're talking about, you know, IRAs, can we talk about like, let's say the top three investment products that Muslim uh, moms and women should be aware of? So uh, are we talking about investment products in general or like accounts? Um, is that That's what we're kind of going. Well, with. is there like, in your mind, are there three different accounts and three different products, like the top top of those categories? Or is it, I'm just looking for the top three ways for a Muslim okay. woman to gain and maintain wealth, whether it's okay, a product okay. or it's an account. What do you mm-hmm. like, the three best things? Right. So I guess when it comes to, let's, let's talk about um, asset allocation first, okay? So I know it's going to sound uh, like, you know, I'm, I'm speaking a different language, but uh, Break it down like I'm a kindergartner because I really exactly. need that. Yeah. So <laughs> your portfolio, right? You know, you've heard the term portfolio. It means different things in marketing, different things in for somebody with an art background. In investing, a portfolio is really um, different types of assets or securities that you might be able to own. And when it comes to investing, your portfolio, that bundle of securities, right, should be diversified okay so if in real estate the idea is to have prime location in investing it has to be diversification which is a mix of different types of assets so um, when we're talking about products you should have a little bit of mix of stocks a little bit of mix of sukuk which is the islamic alternative to traditional bonds, which are haram because, you know, they have the interest bearing component to it. And there could also be real estate um, or REIT investment trust um, in your portfolio. And um, there, there might be other ways um, that you can also, you know, invest, um, you know, through um, startups, um, you know, by owning art. And uh, it, the idea is that you should not just have one type of asset in your portfolio, but really have different uh, mix of those assets to offset the risk, right? You have to strike a balance between high return investments, um, but they tend to be more risky and safer low return investments. Um, I think the cliched phrase, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket should really resonate with somebody who is uh, new to the world of investing. So uh, for, you know, I think uh, talking about products a little bit more, I would say um, if you are just getting started, um, you're not so comfortable, you know, you you kind of want to do it yourself or, you know, you want to work with a financial advisor um, on this, uh, you should have, you know, you should utilize ETFs, uh, mutual funds, um, you know, and do a little bit, um, you know, get into the world of investing through passive, through a passive way if you can. Because what these uh, funds allow you to do is that they're a basket of securities. So I'm going to talk about one product, which is um, an ETF known as SPUS. So this ETF, um, this is actually offered by one of the affiliated uh, sister companies of Sharia Portfolio, and this is an equity ETF. What that means is that um, a lot of us you know, have heard the term S&P 500. What that is, is essentially um, an index of 500 um, of the largest companies here in the U.S. Um, from all different sectors. Right. And, uh, you know, that are on that S&P 500 and there is an index that that's kind of tracking their performance. And, you know, it's an indicator for how well the economy is doing overall. So now for a layperson you know, investing in the an index that's kind of following the S&P 500 for a Muslim investor, that's kind of tricky because there are so many names that might be on there that are not halal. Right. 
that you know they might be investing in businesses that you don't want to associate yourself with. So then what this SPUS ETF has done is we've only taken the names you know out of those 500 out uh, around 180 which are halal uh, you know which are permissible to invest in and you know we are kind of tracking their performances. So then by being by investing in that ETF um, you know, you are kind of passively following the market, tracking how the market is doing and, you know, trying to mimic it that way. So for somebody, I think, you know, who and, and, and the, the reason I mentioned ETF is that they tend to be much less costly because, you know, it's, it's that kind of tr- uh, passive way of investing. You're not necessarily trying to beat the market, whereas uh, mutual funds, you know, of, uh, they tend to be more actively managed. There are more transactions that happen in them every single day. More trades happen. And so the fee sometimes tends to be a bit higher, even though the returns you know, might be a little bit better um, for people who are starting off with a smaller uh, you know, kind of um, uh, amount. Maybe that fee can eat away at the returns. So, um, you know, investing or, you know, kind of researching into halal ETFs that are available in the market. And there are so many of them now and mutual funds from Amana, Azad, from Sharia Portfolio. Um, they are, you know, right now we have a lot of them available in the market. So I'd say that, you know, uh, getting into that, um, you know, would be a really get way for somebody to start investing. And you, know, you can do it through so many different platforms. Sharia Portfolio has an express portal. Uh, where you can get started with as little as a thousand dollar, and you know mm-hmm. it's for anybody. Uh, you know you can get started, um, and you know it doesn't have to be like a decent amount, right? You know anybody um, that has a thousand dollar can basically get started with it. And there are so many other um, brokerage platforms, you know, that are also available in the market that allows you to do that. So the key is to start investing women i think tend to have a mindset that we will save and we will not invest and i cannot emphasize enough how important it is to start investing rather than just saving where where the purchasing power is kind of getting um, eroded with inflation and also start investing early investing in your 20s versus starting investing in your 30s and 40s makes a huge difference yeah and i think that is um i think uh, rather than you know um products or uh accounts that is an idea that i really want to hit yeah absolutely absolutely so i'm hearing the top three things that you should think about is of course because of diversification think real estate which a lot of women i think can understand because we've seen that happen that's traditionally historically how in our cultures people have made money um something called is it sahuk the bond the sahuk s-u-k-u-k okay and how do those work Sukuk, um, so traditional bonds, right, the way they work is that it's a debt obligation. You are going to, you know, either a corporation or the government will issue a bond, right, where, um, you know, you will lend them some money and there is going to be some sort of a um, contract there where they're gonna, you know, you're going to um, lend them this money for, you know, whatever amount of years. Um, and they're going to issue interest payments periodically to you, right, uh, in exchange for that uh, lending, uh, that money that you lent to them. And then at the end of the um, uh, contract expiration date, when the uh, contract matures, you're going to get, you know, all of your, um, you know, uh, what is it, principal back as well. Yes. Okay. So the, the, the this idea that there is interest involved, you know, periodic interest payments. Of course, you know, um, as a Muslim, you know, riba is something that is haram, and you know, we can't really, um, you know, take part in that. So then, sukuk, which is kind of an alternative to Islamic bonds, um, were introduced in the market, um, you know, from you know uh, countries like UAE and Malaysia, uh, where the idea is that this is also something that provides um, uh, an income, but it's not debt-backed. It's backed by a tangible asset, 
and you are getting a percentage of the revenue that this asset is earning. So it kind of circumvents that um, idea uh, of interest, um, but it also functions as that um, stable income producing um, asset that should be in each individual's portfolio. So, um, you know, having a little bit of equity, a mix of equity, a mix of sukuk uh, for a more stable return. Um, and then uh, even though, you know, maybe, you know, real estate might not be affordable for everyone, right. something like a REIT, which is an investment trust that owns, manages, and operates income-producing real estate assets wow. um, can really help somebody, you know, get into, uh, get some flavor of the uh, real estate market. So there are, Sharia Portfolio has all three ETFs available in the market. So there is one for real estate REITs, SPRE. There is one for Sukuk, SPSK. And then there is one for equity that I mentioned is tracking the 200 of the halal names in the S&P 500, which is SPUS. So I would encourage you know everyone to kind of look into these halal options that are existent in the market um, that are uh, new and uh, you know that are that have been introduced you know for the benefit of the Muslim community. And there are many others, you know, mutual uh, funds that are available, you know, from Azad, from Amana from Wahid, um, you know, for everybody's benefit um, that you should really look into. Awesome. Thank you for that. That's like a, a great summary. <laughs> it's a great summary and we're taking notes so that we can summarize it for our, for our listeners for Absolutely. sure. Um, and we're really blessed that we have a lot of these amazing people as yeah. our sponsors because we're, they're really about focusing on educating and informing our, our females specifically, because as you know, education is kind of brought on mm -hmm. the laps of the mother. So we're, we're very much about that, um, empowering women within our community. So thank you so much for explaining it so well. And the one thing that I learned, and I loved how she phrased this specifically was, it's not time in the market. It's, it's not timing the market, exactly. it's time, time in, in the market. The market. Huh. And, and I love that you guys are saying that a lot, right? And and that's something that we're teaching our children, mm -hmm. you know, like as far as savings and investing um, and all of my team, both of my teenagers have investment portfolios already. Very like cool. they're very much about that right now. Um, but, you know, because what I'm lacking in my knowledge, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to help them. Because, um, you know, let's just assume, you know, we're all <clears throat> 28 years old, you know, let's, we're the average mom, we're 28 times two, but we're, gonna, we're not going to talk about that. Um, so, so like, how much should I start investing? You know, and we're not talking about like huge, huge amounts, right. right? You're talking about like a percentage that I should start to putting away to invest so that I can start thinking about potentially retiring on the earlier side? Like, what, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, I think what, I guess, yeah, thought-wise, please understand that if you are somebody who is looking to retire at 50, first of all, you, would ha you have fewer working years to build that nest egg and essentially more time that you would have to spend it, right? So, um, you know, if you assume that you're going to live until the age of 80, uh, uh, advisors, a, a lot of advisors recommend budgeting to spend between 55 and 80% of your annual pre-retirement income to kind of keep your uh, current standard of living. So let's say if you live off of 60000 a year while you're working, what that means is that, you know, if we're thinking uh, kind of in, in that term between 55 and 80 percent, you should budget for retirement. You'll need something somewhere between 33000 and 48000 a year during retirement. So, you know, some of your costs hopefully um, will go away. Maybe you don't have uh, mortgages to think about and other things. But if, you know, you plan to and, and, and you know, this this is going to happen, you know, women uh, and, you know, uh, life expectancy is increasing and women tend to live longer than men uh, for, you know, in, in lots of parts of the world anyway. So if you live until the age of 80, 
based on that calculation, you'll need to have assets valued between 990K to 1.44 million, right? Just mm -hmm. off of that. But And now, um, please understand that this is just, you know, off of that assumption that, you know, you, you, you know, you need 55 to 80%. However, we, what I, what I would say is that the amount that you need to retire also depends on your individual circumstances and your goals, mm -hmm. right? Do you have children, right, that you, you know, uh, need to send to college? Do you have debt? Uh, do you, are you planning to enjoy the fruits of your labor, you know, in a luxurious way? Or in retirement, do you plan to live in austerity? Right. So all of these things uh, will kind of determine and your answer to these questions will determine the magical amount that you need to retire. And, um, you know, speaking with a financial advisor or, you know, just kind of trying to answer some of those questions and, you know, kind of uh, trying to lay out your financial goals, I think, would really help answer that question. But it's just to, uh, you know, get an idea. So I think the takeaway here is 55 to 80% of whatever your income is now, you want right. to count, you save that much annually mm -hmm. in order to be able to retire by 80 or right. 50, whatever that is. 50, but you probably won't 50. be able, yeah, you probably wouldn't be able to yeah. do it at 50 because you still have expenses. You've got college going on. Exactly. Medical bills and happen. Taking care of our parents happens. Mm -hmm. So that's like a big, big thing for immigrant communities, second generation, first generation. Muslim Americans, those are huge costs to think about. And what I'm thinking is, you know, you want to save on the upper end, at least Zeba and I do, because we don't want to live in austerity when we're old. Right. We, we work too <laughs> dang <does>. hard. Yeah. <laughs> we want to be rolling in the bills when we're that old. So if we can still roll at that time. Mm -hmm. So, and all right. Uh, one more thing, I guess I just wanted to add to that point is that um, even though, you know, you might be retiring at 50, please understand that the way retirement accounts 401k IRAs are structured, um, they don't necessarily let you withdraw from those accounts until you are 59 and a half without paying a hefty penalty. So mm -hmm. if you are planning to retire at 50 and you have to withdraw from your retirement accounts, you are going to be imposed, you know, there's going to be a 10% penalty that's imposed along with taxes, right? If you made pre-tax contributions. So keeping that in mind and, you know, kind of, you know, working around that and uh, tweaking that into your um, estimation, um, I think would, would also uh, really be um, crucial. Important, yes. So Usma, I was looking at my 401k materials and getting a little overwhelmed. Oh, I know what you mean. It can look like chaos. And none of the choices were halal. It's kind of a disaster. You know about the amount of funds though, right? Wait, no. What? Well, if your plan has a brokerage option, it's likely you can choose them through that, but you can also invest directly with them. They're halal? You bet. They're the oldest and largest Islamically acceptable funds in the U.S. Sharia certified, the whole deal. We want to thank Amana Funds for sponsoring this episode. Here's what you need to know. Please consider an investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. To obtain this and other important information about Amana Mutual Funds in a current prospectus or summary prospectus, please visit www.amanafunds.com or call toll-free 1-800-728-8762. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. Distributed by Saturna Brokerage Services Incorporated, member of FINRA and a wholly owned subsidiary of Saturna Capital, investment advisor to the Amana Mutual Funds. Um, so I think the elephant in the room here is what about Qadr Allah? You know, what about those people who say only Allah is a razaq He is the provider, the sustainer. What do we say to those people who say, no, when you're thinking about long-term investments, you're not believing in Allah or your... Uh, conflicting with what he's taught us about relying upon him for our wealth and our sustenance. What do we say to those critics? Um, I think, you know, in our religion, this is a really beautiful thing that, you know, we all come to understand that risk is from Allah, you know, who is the provider, the supplier, um, you know, he is the one who creates all means of nourishment and, you know, provides us everything that we need. Um, 
we, we, of course, you know, I understand and, you know, I think most of us understand that risk that we have, no matter how much we feel like we have earned it, is not from ourselves, but has been provided by Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? However, the believer is also encouraged to work hard, even if our risk is predetermined. Right. Mm-hmm. Knowing, I think, uh, what's beautiful about our religion is that, you know, even though we uh, understand that risk, you know, is predetermined, um, Allah, Islam doesn't, is not a religion that teaches us uh, to be lazy or, you know, teaches fatalism, right? Where, you know, right. something what's is inevitable, yeah. right? What's the point? Um, I think Allah has commanded for every capable individual to put in the effort in search of provision, despite it being predetermined. So we are expected to work for our sustenance, to strive for something good, um, and, you know, put in the work in a way that is pleasing to Allah. And I think uh, the Prophet, um, you know, has this um, uh, saying, right, where, you know, a man um, came to him and, you know, asked him this question, you know, whether, you know, uh, he... um, it was about, you know, um, his camel and whether he should <clears throat> let it roam around or tie it first. And what his response uh, to that man was is that you should tie your camel and place your trust in Allah. So note that tying the camel came first, right? And then mm-hmm. also have the and, you know, placing the trust in Allah uh, means that we should nurture, grow, and increase the provisions that we have received so that, you know, we can do more things that are pleasing to God, beneficial to our society in general. Do more charitable deeds, you know, uh, things that you know, um, you know, will will do more for the ummah in general. Absolutely, I, I thank you. I think that that's so important for people to hear mm-hmm. because it's. I feel like even though he said tie your camel and then pray, it's. Um, I feel like that the wakil, the belief in Allah, is first because you believe that Allah gave you this responsibility of a camel Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. the ability to make money, big muscles, strong brain, uh, your network. You know, I guess uh, I've been hearing recently that your network is your net worth. So all of those things, you are now responsible for cultivating, protecting. So tie them up, get them ready to use them but also make sure you go pray to Allah sure. subhanahu wa ta'ala, yeah, right? So absolutely. I think that that's, that's really, really important. And the one thing that I think both of us were really curious about, we forgot to ask you completely, is tell us about, you know, <laughs> investing in finance is your interest and passion, but your background doesn't really, you know, like we can't understand as lay people how that one yeah. led to the other. So chicken <laughs> and egg kind of thing. How did you get into halal investing? And then tell us about Sharia portfolio, what it does. Yeah, absolutely. So I think... Um, <clears throat> Like, I, I understand, you know, where you're coming from, you know, the education and the degrees don't really kind of align with what, I, what I'm doing right now. Uh, I think that for me, it kind of started um, a few years back when my husband and I uh, really started discussing our financial future here in the U.S. Um, and, you know, I think it was my, you kind of touched upon this, that growing up in an immigrant household or, uh, you know, coming from um, uh, that kind of background, there was never any discussion related to investing or financial planning because for, for my parents and for a lot of immigrant parents, right, it was merely about surviving. Um, so th- there, there was re- really never any discussion about, you know, in this regard. Um, however, once I got married and, you know, we were both working and my husband and I had the means to do some financial planning for our future, um, I guess, you know, we kind of found ourselves in a challenging situation that I think resonates with many Muslims, both in the U.S. and abroad, uh, where, you know, it's a discussion regards to with regards to contributing to 401k plans, um, you know, saving something, you know, for our children's education or, you know, when it came to home purchase. Um, we kind of realized early on that the traditional financial route would make it very difficult and challenging for us to kind of conform to our personal and religious values. And um, I think that moral dilemma kind of really grappled us. And um, we started thinking about what to do about our 401k at work. 
and ultimately decided not to contribute to the 401k for a while because there was no option to self-direct our investments. Right. And we just didn't feel comfortable um, participating in non-TRIA compliant investments. However, knowing myself, this is something that really kept bothering me. And <clears throat> I'm the type of person in the family who, you know, if I'm not comfortable with something, I'll do my own research. So I guess I took on the task of educating myself on the topic of halal investing, what is really permissible, what is not, you know, what, what we know and understand. Um, and I guess discovered along the way that there is um, an array of confusion and uh, misinformation surrounding it. Um, and, you know, really started feeling interested in learning more and, um, uh, you know, getting some sort of um, getting more education about it. And also, um, you know, at the same time, I started becoming very interested in pursuing the CFP designation, which is a certified financial planner, because I felt like this is something that I kept coming back to, even though I am versed in the realm of public policy and have done work with nonprofits um, and, you know, have done teaching economics and all that. I think that this is something that was kind of like deep inside me somewhere that, you know, I, I felt like, you know, I was very drawn to this profession. And um, so I, I did, I, I tried to do some research and tried to locate some Muslim financial advisors and uh, fortunately uh, came across Sharia Portfolio, uh, reached out to the CEO to seek career advice. Um, and eventually, you know, after a lot of discussion, you know, it just, he was very welcoming and, you know, asked me to join the firm as an investment independent advisor. And I, mean, I saw that as a win-win opportunity because I got to do something that I'm passionate about uh, while also being compliant with my faith. Um, so, you know, it just kind of all started from there. I started studying for my um, licensing exam, got my license within three months and um, became investment advisor representative. And here I am after two years, you know, loving my job and feeling excited to do it every single day. <laughs> Mashallah, that's awesome. I love that. And Sharia, you can you can you can tell you can tell with by the smile and like you can hear the smile and a voice that you really enjoy what you're doing. I do, I do. It's it's so really uh, you know feels valuable to be able to talk to people. You know, share. I, I whenever I can, I try to share my story with them so that you know they know that they're not alone. Um, you know, and you know it might offer some clarity so to some others who are trying to navigate similar situations. So, are we ready for the rapid fire? Yes. Are you familiar with our rapid, rapid fire? fire? Oh, she's scared now. <laughs> Tell her about the rapid fire, So essentially, Usman's going to put a minute to a minute and a half on the um, on the clock, mm -hmm. and the two of us are going to tag team and like throw questions at you so that we can get to know you in a little bit more of an intimate a manner. Okay. Um, and, and it's, they're just fun, light questions. Okay. So nothing, nothing, nothing scary. you had to research. We're not going to quiz, we're not going <laughs> to quiz you. We're not going to say, what is the title nine SEC financial? Oh, None of that. that. You oh, already took that, that exam. That <laughs> um, so the first question we always ask is what is a book that you're currently reading or would recommend to our listeners to read? Uh, I think one book I would recommend uh, to the listeners is uh, The Muslim's Guide to Investment. Um, uh, it's by Salem Monim and um, another author. Um, and this is a really, really comprehensive guide for any Muslim that is interested in the um, world of investing. And it's, it's laid out in such simple format and it's a very like tiny book and you know kind of long and really great to read um so that is something that i would definitely recommend i love it we've got it written down we'll have that in our show notes so um if you could win an olympic me a medal for any olympic <laughs> sport real or fake what would it be <laughs> swimming Swimming. I don't know how to swim. Oh. Yes. But you want to. It's a dream. I want to. I don't know how to swim. And this is something, you know, I, I've always enjoyed watching. And uh, hopefully, inshallah, someday. Inshallah, one day. <laughs> that that's a dream. That's a dream for all of us Muslims. Now all that of we us have the girls, bikinis, yeah, okay? <laughs> we weren't allowed to swim. All growing of us up. Muslim girls that weren't allowed to swim. Okay, so this is a personal question: Is your bed made right now? Ooh. Not today, but this is something that I do every single day. Not today. <laughs> <laughs>
Just not today. She was getting ready for us. That's why. That's why. Okay. Absolutely. Let me do one more. I'm trying to find a really fun one that I've never used before, but I feel like a lot of these are audiences heard before. Uh, What is your hidden talent? Hmm. It's a tough one, but I guess I'm really into organizing. Uh, <laughs> a woman after you know, our heart. My, my desktop might not be organized, right? Which, you know, something my husband is great at, but I try to make sure that I, I'm really into like, you know, that, that uh, recent trend that has come off, you know, on yeah. TikTok and others where, you know, home organizing and making sure things flow well and, you know, form and functionality. I, I think from the home edit, right? I'm sure a lot of people yes, are aware yes. of um, that is something <clears throat> I guess I'm relatively good at and, you know, try to aspire to be. You were at. doing it way before the home edit. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today. We're actually, uh, we went a little bit over mm. on our 90 seconds for the rapid fire, but we appreciate getting to know you a little bit better, getting to know uh, what's out there for halal investing. Like I learned a bunch so I have a bunch of stuff to look up right now because I know I don't have those things and I want to go see that I do um, or go bug my husband about it. How do I do this? Where do we go? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we will have the contact information for Sharia Portfolio and your contact information in our show notes. So if anybody has any further questions, they can feel free to reach out to you because you are really responsive to us. We really appreciate it. And thank you. Thank you so much for making Muslim women and Muslim moms rich and richer. Thank you so much. Yes. I appreciate you um, having me on this show and you know, really, really great work that you all are doing here. Thank you. Thank, so you. Thank you. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzman Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Mommy While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.